I've really understood that the more I talk about it and the more I give it away, the more it doesn't hold on to me. Because when you keep things dark and you keep things hidden and in secret is when they have hold of you. Hello, and welcome to Danley and Friends. I'm your host, Ryan Danley. On this podcast, I seek to spread joy by connecting you with my friends and other people who are doing positive things in their community and in the world at large. I also seek to spread connection through encouraging open dialogue, having difficult conversations, and exploring new ideas and concepts. Warning. This next episode contains stories of violence. Margot Graff was attacked and beaten by human traffickers who attempted to kidnap her. She uses this story, as well as a number of other traumas that she's experienced in life, to empower young women to be strong, smart, and bold. Margot is an actress and a producer. She does stunts, ranging from fight choreography to horseback riding. Her ultimate dream is to have a major action hero franchise and be on stage at Comic-Cons, teaching women about confidence, self-defense, mental health, and self-love. Margot's story is one that contains much trauma, but is also one that contains much hope. You are in for a ride as Margot tells her story and talks about her mental health journey, including how psilocybin, prayer, and finding a cause bigger than herself has helped her persist despite her circumstances. Enjoy. Well, we are live, and Margot, thank you so much for joining me. Oh my God, it's yes. been a minute since we've chatted, and uh, like I was saying, you're one of the most multifaceted people I know. Like, you just do so many things. It's super cool, and uh, I don't want to ruin the intro. I actually want to give you the opportunity to intro yourself and say, who is Margot Graff, if you had to give your elevator pitch? Okay, well, um, hi, I'm Margot Graff. I'm from Minnesota. If you want, I can always pull out that Minnesota accent. Oh, yeah, you betcha, Margot from Fargo. <laughs> uh, went to school in Indianapolis, Butler University with the lovely Danley. Uh, graduated from the College of Business, Marketing, Spanish, Entrepreneur, Innovation with experience in communications and went on to um, act in New York. There I um, found my passion and got connected to God in my dream of being uh, a leading lady in a massive billion-dollar action franchise, speaking uh, at Comic-Cons around the world, talking to little girls about the um, importance of developing a warrior spirit. Um, so, yeah, I moved, I moved to L.A. I, um, I date men. I date women. I'm on one of the largest queer talk shows on YouTube. Uh, we shoot at YouTube Studios with 166,000 subscribers, which is amazing. And, um, yeah, I do. I escaped men who tried to kidnap me for human trafficking, and that's how I got into martial arts, uh, which changed my life. It's uh, the one thing that helped me recover from all my PTSD. And from that, um, I've done some pretty amazing things like speak at A21 galas with the mayor of Costa Mesa about my story. Um, done some really amazing projects because of that. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm a savage. Oh, 
And I, and I, I started a clothing brand this pandemic called Savage Sisters. Uh, so that's been really, really fun. Um, especially how my, my story is I, you know, escaped from men who tried to kidnap me for human trafficking and I, martial arts helped me recover from my PTSD and taught me to get out of a victim mentality and into a, um, into a savage mode. And so my clothing line is, my clothing line sells anything you can kick ass in plus sweats. And we're moving into some original product and things like that for females. So it's going to be really fucking cool. That's fucking awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> and uh, one thing you said that I kind of want to click, double click on and, you know, move yes. on to the story is uh, you want girls to, you know, feel this warrior spirit. And uh, I think that's interesting. And I wonder where that comes from. And I have to wonder if it has to do with the human trafficking story and uh, people trying to kidnap you. Bro, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I can. I would love to talk about that. So. Um, in college, I was in a, um, you know, very uh, abusive relationship. Men have kind of always been like my main focus. And um, so I, you know, in, in school, I was, it got to a point where I was either going to kill myself or I felt like he, you know, was going to hurt me. And so I, um, I actually cheated. I got, I don't know if you know this, like I got caught cheating on a test. And, um, I thought it was, you know, what are they going to do? say bad, bad, don't do that. Um, but you know, it got to the point where they were like, well, you have all this domestic violence stuff on your record. Uh, we want to, what do you mean? Like we should expel you. And I realized like in this relationship, every time the cops had gotten called, um, I obviously never said anything about my partner and it was my partner who always threw me under the bus and said like, I was the troublemaker. So I begged school to say, you know, please let me stay in the school. But if you don't let me go abroad, like I will kill myself. Like it just got to a point of really deep darkness. And so I ran away to Europe and I partied my life away. Like I did everything I could to numb the pain I was feeling. And, um, I met this incredible woman. The first woman that I felt like I really fell in love with was my best friend, Stephanie. And we just, um, we conquered Europe together. We would travel all around and do all these like wild orgies of sorts. And, um, you know, you don't realize that you have to be really careful who you party with. And, um, especially if you're an American, you know, who's looking for, looking for the party, the party will always find you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we were in Brussels and, um, my dad, he works with the Rolling Stones. He sells their art. So my dad like has always gone to the AMAs, the Grammys, MTV, MTV awards for, like 13 years because he will sell rock stars art. So like Mick of Fleetwood Mac and all of them, like they paint. So we were in Brussels and we met these guys and they were like, Hey, we're with a band. We are a band. Uh, we have a private jet. Do you want to go on tour with us? And I was like, uh, yeah. yeah, real life, Penny, real life, Penny Lane. You're telling me I could be Penny Lane. Yes. I want to go on tour with you. Like my life has always kind of been like, 
lived in extremes. I'm a Scorpio, so I get myself in trouble sometimes. And um, I was like, of course, this is so, this would happen to me. And my dad would totally understand if I left and went on tour with these guys. Well, they uh, were not a band, if you can guess. And uh, they were actually speaking in a French-American accent, but then they were speaking Russian to each other. And I didn't know that at the time. They ended up roofing my drink. And um, thankfully, there was this other girl at the bar that was kind of attracted to me and to me, and we were talking. And she had actually done a different internship with a different embassy every six months. So every country for two years, um, four different countries had taught her uh, the signs of human trafficking. So she was like, okay, well, these guys are asking where her passport is. They want to take her somewhere. Um, they're speaking Russian, but then they're speaking a whole different like French American accent and they're just being really sketchy. And, um, I don't think she knew I was roofied, but, um, they just kept feeding us drinks and I blackout. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm roofied. I'm drunk. I don't know what happened. I all of a sudden come back in and I'm like, oh my God, I'm really fucked up. Like, I, I don't know where everyone is. I don't know what happened, but like, I need to go. I need to leave the bar. So I grab my friend um, and we start going home. And, um, you know, I'm in six inch heels. I'm in a leather corset, like diamond choker. Like I'm done up to the nines. And we're walking on the, you know, the sidewalk. But mind you, I had also gotten mugged the night before. So my girlfriend, Stephanie, had actually been roofied at the same bar the night before. And um, I was standing there texting somebody and someone grabbed my phone, kicked me. So I went on the ground and then ran away. And so like, as I was running after them, like I, I fell on my face, like I had, it was all scraped up. So this is the next night. And so like, I'm walking home. I'm really drunk and roofied. And um, all of a sudden, like, I'm like, there's someone uh, following us. And we look behind us. And um, by the time she looks behind us, he's not like a block away. He's like right behind us. And we're walking on the sidewalk because obviously you walk on the sidewalk. But on this street in Brussels, it's like a block and a half. Like they're like New York, New York blocks. So they're really long blocks. Have, um, stores and then there's it's super tiny skinny sidewalks and then there's cars lining the sidewalk so we're really like trapped in yeah um and we see these two very handsome men come walk in front of us and um of course we smile and you know just kind of like try and walk around to the side of them and they stop in front of us grab my jacket rip us down to the ground and start kicking us in the stomach, jumping on our legs to break in our legs, like, um, and just start like beating us up until, you know, they think we're not going to be able to move. And then they'll have a van pull up and take us. And, you know, they're not like mugging us for my purse. Like they didn't touch my purse or anything. Like they're literally just kicking the shit out of us. Um, and, um, I know I can't, I can't fight him off. I've never, I've like, I didn't have an ACL for six years. It disintegrated. And I didn't know I tore my ACL. And like, I, you know, I'm 
I, I just have no fight training. I have no, like, I've never done martial arts. I'm really not an athletic person at this point. Like I just don't run. I, you know, I really don't do any sports because my ACL and my knee blows out all the time. And so I'm like, I can't fight them off and I'm too drunk and I'm roofied. And I'm like, I, they can't take me. They cannot take me. And so I'm, I make the decision. They have to take my friend because they can't take me and I have to get away. And so I roll on from my back onto my stomach and I just put my legs underneath me and I get up and I just somehow like get up and just run. And so this, the one guy was on me and two guys were on my other friend beating her up. And I start yelling at the top of my lungs, like run, run, run for your life to my friend that I hope that she hears me and stops trying to fight them off. And she gets up and start, you know, so she can run because I can't save her. They have to take her. They can't take me. And I'm hoping that she hears me and that she's able to get away too. And because I was screaming so hysterically and running, the two guys realized this one guy let me get away. So this one guy is chasing me and these other two guys stop beating up my friend to realize what's happening. And that gives her the split second to like get up from the ground and start running. And now we're booking it from these guys down the street and it's cobblestone streets. Like it's not even streets. It's cobblestone. I'm in six inch heels. I'm roofied. I already like have scratches and bruises all over me from the night before from falling on my face from being mugged. Like I am top, my legs are toppling over itself because they were jumping up and down on my legs. And there's an alleyway that we see. And so we run down the alleyway and fall and like, um, they're still chasing us and we finally get to a, a main street and we turn the corner and, um, fall into a convenience store and are like hysterically crying. Like, don't know what's going on. Like someone help us, someone like, and, um, the people who are in the convenience store go outside and there's no one there. And, um, you know, I, at this point, like my legs, I can't, I can't walk. I cannot walk. And so, um, the son of the man who owned the convenience store, um, had to pick me up bride style and carry me back to our hostel another like five blocks. Um, so we could get home and me and my friend, you know, fell asleep, literally like facing each other in bed, holding each other's hands. And woke up the next morning and like still had not let go of that grip. And the other crazy thing that I honestly didn't know this until three years later, the girl at the bar who had met me and was kind of into me and had been doing the internships with the embassies, I thought in my head, I had met her in a different country in a different time. And I didn't know until, so I moved to New York and I find out, oh, this girl's in New York. I go and grab pizza with her. And she's like, I'm like, oh, so how long are you in the, you know, the United States for? And thinking she's some European girl. And she's like, no, I'm American. I'm like, really? Okay. Uh, you know, and we ended up being, becoming like really good friends. And two, three years after the incident, and we'd been friends now for two years, her and I went out to drinks for my birthday one night. And someone was like, um, it was just her and I sitting at a bar, um, you know, having a cocktail for my birthday. And someone came up to us, this guy, and is like, oh yeah, so, you know, how do you guys know each other? And she's like, oh, we met in Brussels. 
I'm like, no, we didn't. We met in Spain. Like her phone is Nina Spain in my phone. I'm like, we met in Spain. We met in France. She's like, no, we met in Brussels. And she was like, you were wearing a black corset, a diamond choker, um, you know, and said, these guys were talking to you in a, you know, French American accent. They were speaking Russian. She was one that clarified all this for me. And she was like, and I realized they were human traffickers and I had been trained by embassies. And so, uh, to know, to, to realize the signs. And so she told the bartender, Hey, these guys are human traffickers and they called the cops. And as the traffickers had taken me by the arm and were escorting me out of the bar to take me the first time cops came in and took them and were questioning them. And like, that's, and I didn't know that until three years later. And that's why, you know, after I had blacked back in and the bar and I was like, where is everybody? What's going on? I was like, I I just need to get home. So I had missed this whole chunk that she really saved my life the first time from them taking me in a car to get on a plane, to go on tour with them. Like this girl, Nina, saved my life the first time. (laughs) And so, you know, obviously the cops didn't take all of them. And so um, the cops that, you know, the ones that didn't get taken ended up were the ones that, you know, called their friends and said, hey, we still got girls that we roofied. Let's get them again. You know, let's not waste the roofies that we already gave these girls. And so, yeah, yeah. that really changed my life for like, you know, still to this day. And, um, even since then, I mean, actually like two years ago that this event happened like eight years ago. Uh, but like two years ago, there's another scam going around or people are also faking people's kidnap or are faking kidnapping people's children for money. And, um, so that happened to my parents like two years ago. And that was like, uh, that really re-triggered my PTSD, like hardcore where I, um, so that's a whole other story too, but it was the second time that that instance came into my life that I was pushed to get into martial arts to really conquer some deep depression and anxiety. And that's where God, you know, he always told me he saved my life. He made me a hero in real life. And so he wanted me to play one on screen, but like I hadn't taken a single acting course. I was not athletic. I was probably like 40 pounds heavier, like, you know, had never done any athletic things. And, um, but yeah, it's, um, my dream is to be at comic cons, uh, with my action franchise, you know, speaking about how to be a hero in real life and how to defend yourself and, you know, teach your young girls and boys, uh, warning signs because, we're not taught that, you know, yeah. we're taught it's fun to chase the party, but like, you don't realize the parties you get into. And like when it, they invite you to an all girls, girls only party or after party from a nightclub, like, no, they're trying to take you most of the time. Yeah. All I can say is, holy shit. Like that is yeah wild. Uh, I have to ask if you don't <laughs> mind sharing, like talk to me about your mental health journey a little bit, because you Yo, left traumatic sure. experience to go to another traumatic experience. And then later down the road, you had another, you know what I mean? These are multiple things. Uh, I have to imagine it's been you have, a ride. Bro, bro, <laughs> bro. So I came back from Europe and I was traumatized. And then I went to, you know, go see the dean to come back. And he was like, well, you know, you have this school record. 
you have the school record of domestic violence and you got caught cheating. So there's already a stigma about you and you're going to really have to do a lot to beat that stigma. And like, I had won every business competition from my class, like at Butler, like I, you know, like I was stellar in school. So I, it was this duality of, um, the social life and the people I surrounded with me, myself with like, that really took over the work that I was doing. And, um, and the top dog competition is literally that it's the top dog. Like you have to be awesome to win. And I won it every year. And you won it every year. I won it. I won it consecutively year after year. So I, I don't know if that's been, that's been done. And what that is as a top dog competition is like you create a business and run it for uh, proof of concept for profit. And then they award business of best innovative, you know, best creative, best operating business. And like my second year, we won like $9,000 for our business too. But um, yeah, so after I had the talk with the Dean, I, I went back to Chicago on my way to Minnesota and I just hung out with some friends and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, I can't go back on um, campus because my ex was still there and I was, I just didn't know what to do. And so um, I actually decided to stay my senior year um, in Chicago. And um, my parents didn't think I was going to go back to school, but I was like, it'll be fine. Like, I'll just take this year to do my internships. I need to graduate and then, you know, I'll be able to work it out. And um, bro, I was, uh, I had become friends with my weed dealers, classic. And, um, one, one day that I was there <laughs> two minutes after I get there, five guys bust in with silencers without face masks there to kill my two guy friends and didn't know we had just walked in. Oh my God. So let me tell you a year and a half of feeling like an abusive, tumultuous relationship to then almost being taken to then now, like still not realizing the people that I'm being friends with and how the people I'm inviting into my life and how this affects my life. So I am now, I get zip tied down on my stomach and none of them are wearing face masks, which just means like in heart of Chicago, if you're going to kill two black guys in the heart of Chicago, it's a drug deal. And unfortunately they're going to look the other way. So they didn't know we had just walked in the back door and it's two white girls, you know, two black guys now, now it's four people and none of them are wearing a face mask. I actually have never told this story publicly. So, um, yeah, normally if you don't wear a face mask, it means I'm going to kill you. They have silencers. Like, you're not going to yes. make it out alive. And now it's a whole murder scene. So are they going to kill us? <laughs> or are they going to let us go? And so I had made the decision, like, I was just a victim less than six months ago. And I'm not going to be a victim anymore. So I'm helping them. I'm like, take the TV, take the guitar. Like this is the, and they're actually standing, my face is on the ground like this. And they're jumping up and down on my face. So I shut up because I won't stop looking at them and talking to them. Like the fucking TikTok videos, you know? Bro, it was, so um, thankfully, like they wanted to blow torch my guy friend's face. They want to blow in our kneecaps. Like God really saved me. And um, after it was like all over, you know, the guys zipped, unzipped tied themselves and, you know, got us up and they're like, well, you know, that was our first holdup, like for them. And I was like, you just don't even realize like 
who you're surrounding yourself with. Like you're, you're a weed dealer. Like, yes, I smoke weed. Like I have a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Um, I've been chronically depressed since I was like 13. And so, you know, you think like, oh, your weed dealers are cool. Well, if you're friends with your weed dealers, like there's always a chance that they could get um, stuck up and robbed because one guy owed them $25,000 and was like, I don't have the money, but you can go rob my suppliers. And so at this point, I had to really look at the choices I was making in my life. And, um, you know, I like, I had to get, I, how I first combated my PTSD and anxiety and depression was like, I had to get hypnotized. I had to get hypnotized to separate the, um, the trauma from my life, like the emotions of it. And, um, so after I did my, my year in Chicago, my two internships, I, I went back to school for my fifth year senior and, um, I was living off campus and I just really didn't know what I was going to do. I, um, I actually had been in, uh, interviewing at Harpo Studios um, because I knew like the VP of marketing, um, Oprah Winfrey's production company. And I was like, okay, yeah, I know business. Like I would love to get into it. And, um, you know, I would love to get into the industry. And I, so when I was in school is when I got hypnotized to separate the trauma from the event so that you would just look at the, it's like how you look at a scar on your knee. You're like, oh, like when I look at that scar, I don't think, ow. I just know that like it happened, it hurt back then, but it doesn't still hurt me now. And, um, so I got, you know, de-traumatized or, you know, hypnotized from it. And it was my fifth year, second semester. Um, I took a freshman theater course and I was so bad at it, but I loved it so much. And that's where God was really like, this is what I want you to do. Like I made you a hero in real life and I want you to play one on screen. And so I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. So I ended up moving to New York um, to do like a two-year acting conservatory. It was like an associate's degree. Now I think actually they're giving us like a bachelor's for it um, if I turn in my degree. But I went back to school for acting. And my first year we were doing some sensory work in these classes. And it's like, you're walking around in a very like hypnotic state and it's like you're at the beach what does it smell like what does it feel like you know can you hear the seagulls what does your toes feel like in the sand you know now you're in a field and you're laying in the grass you know what is what does that sound like is there a plane over above your head you know can you hear birds and now you're in an alleyway and it's dark it's at night and someone's falling behind you. And you can hear their footsteps. And their footsteps are getting faster and closer to you. What does your heart feel like? What does your body feel like? And I was already in this deep, kind of like sensory hypnotic state. And she brought up this instance. And my hypnotism unclicked. Fuck. And I, all of a sudden, like, I am like hysterical in class being like, I'm like hysterical. Like the whole event came washing back to me and all the emotions that like my hypnotism had suppressed. And, um, I cried for probably like 45 minutes straight. And then after that, it, um, it stopped taking control of me. 
like, it was like, okay, wow. Like I had not had emotions towards it for so long. And now I had just like released all those emotions. And now it was like, I've, since then, I've really been able to like, this is probably the most deep I've ever gone into some of these stories with anybody. So it's, it's something to relive a little bit, but like, I've really understood that the more I talk about it and the more I give it away, the more it doesn't hold on to me. Because when you keep things dark and you keep things hidden and in secret is when they have hold of you. And so I've, um, I've since then just started like giving my story away all the time. And it's like one of my first things I end up talking about with people. And I think it's more of like a don't fuck with me. Like I look like I'm really nice but like, don't fuck with me type of thing. Like I've been through some shit, you know, like some people think they'll meet me and they're like, oh, like privileged white girl, like you haven't had a hard life. And I'm like, don't fuck with me. (laughs) Like I battled for my life several times. And um, yeah, you know, and I've just, I had always dealt with anxiety and depression like very deeply since then. And even in, I mean, growing up, it's always been something I've battled with, but um. You know, it truly wasn't until the last time, two years ago, where someone faked my kidnapping to my family um, that I've been able to conquer and start really dealing with my PTSD. Um, Where like, we didn't, so then this last time, my God, um, we didn't tell my mom about what happened for like two, three years because she knew she, we knew she would not take it well. So all of a sudden, my mother one morning gets a call from these guys and they say, we've kidnapped your daughter and we're holding her for ransom and you need to go to the bank right now and pull out as much money as possible. They have a girl that's screaming and crying in the background. And so my mom, any normal parent would be like, what? No, I'm calling my daughter. Like, this isn't real. My mom, because it already happened to me, they were, my mom was like, they have her. They've got her. Like, this is real. And so, you know, my mom's worst nightmare, uh, like relived actually with her. And so she um, goes to the bank. They call the police force because they don't know the hostage situation. And like, they're threatening my mom's life. My mom's like, how am I going to get you the money if you're in California? And I'm in, you know, Minnesota. And they're like, shut up, bitch. If we know where she is, we know where you are. Like, we'll kill her. We'll fucking come and kill you. Like all this shit. Like my mom is like, oh my God, like. And so they're at the, you know, the bank, the police force gets there. And it wasn't for like a, a while into it that there was someone was like, have you called your daughter? And I was like, she's on the phone. Like I'm talking to her. She's hysterical. Like I hear her and they're like, no, call her. So they call me and I was in bed. And so they're like, okay, are you sure you're home alone? I'm like, yes. So they hang up. They, my mom blocks their number and then they call other family members. And I think how they do this is they connect it through Facebook and stuff like that. Like they connect your family members. And I've met like three other people who have had this happen to them. Wow. Like one of them is, you know, a guy on 13 reasons why it was like in his family, another one at Sarah Finn's office, like one of the associates that happened to her boyfriend with his sister. Like this is so real, but people don't talk about this because when it happens to them, they're traumatized and they don't want to talk about it. But so um, after my mom blocked them and then they called their family members, I was paralyzed in my bed for three hours, not knowing if someone was going to be outside to take me. And so um, I had met this girl and um, she 
worked for um, David Ayer, who directed Bright and Suicide Squad and uh, Training Day. And they had a dojo uh, 10 minutes down the street and they had just gotten done training uh, for Tax Collector, which is a new movie with Shia LaBeouf and Lana Parilla. And, um, and so she was like, we're taking you to the dojo right now. Like you're going right now. And I had never gone and done any martial arts prior because one, like you're mostly training with men. So how am I going to feel strong by training with other men who caused my trauma? Like it's a male dominated, most of the time environment. You normally wear male clothing, like geese are made for men. Like you're wearing male clothing and it's in a male environment. How is this going to make me feel any better. And it took me like six, seven years to do any self-defense martial arts training. Um, this woman changed, saved my life. I, you know, I, I owe her so much and I, you know, it was, a. am so thankful and the relationship didn't end well, but I, she changed my life. God brought her into my life for a reason. And since starting martial arts, I've, you know, then picked up weapons, firearms, uh, you know, fight choreography and all those things. And I finally saw, oh, this is what God wanted me to do. This is where I was supposed to be. It just took me a while to get there, but it was, um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it wasn't until I really had to learn to get out of my victim mentality and to not be on the defense, because once you have trauma, and you train, you're really just trying to get back to the baseline. Like you're not advancing. And so once you're at your baseline, then it's like, okay, I can understand how to defend myself. Now, how do I learn to be offensive? And how do I learn to be on the attack and learn to be a savage? And I've really had to learn, you know, how to be a savage in my own life and how to defend myself, how to hold myself differently, how to be aware of, you know, my surroundings and the energy I give off. Like don't, you know, when you're open to so much, you, you can bring in so much trouble. You can't really discern what comes into your life. So, um, yeah, it's, it's changed my life and I, I am who I am today because of this journey. And I, um, yeah. Margo, I, uh, I just have to say seriously, like, thank you for opening up and sharing this because I think it's super important. Uh, I think have you heard the story of Roger Bannister, uh, the guy that ran the four-minute mile? No. So uh, prior to this guy running a four-minute mile, people thought, like scientists and everyone, thought that it was physically impossible for the human body to run a mile in less than four minutes. This one guy does it, and then that following year, I think it was something like 100 and something people did it, and it like, gave them permission to break through this barrier that they thought was unbreakable, you know? And so yeah. I compare that a lot to you sharing your story because you're going to give other women permission if they've had trauma similar to yours, experience similar mm -hmm. to yours, that they feel comfortable enough. Okay, I don't have to hide this, you know, anymore. I don't have to feel ashamed about this anymore. I can put this into the world. It doesn't make me any lesser of a person. In fact, it makes me a fucking savage, you know? And so I really appreciate you for that. I, I, I love you and I trust you and you were, you know, such a good friend and in college. And, um, you know, I'm so glad we're reconnecting over these beautiful moments, you know, but, um, yeah, you really learn like the more you give away, 
it doesn't hold on to you, you know, like it is not yours. It is not your story. It just happened to you. You know, it's, it's parts of you, but it's not the whole, whole thing. And yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you've talked about faith. You've talked about hypnosis. Um, you talked about some of these things that you've used to help you overcome, uh, your victim mentality as you phrased it. You know, tell me some specifics about those. You know, what are some of the work that you do? Like if you had to describe when you get into these situations where you're feeling anxious, uh, you're feeling depressed, how do you work through that, you know, to give kind of a practical solution for people who might be listening? And smoke a little weed too, uh, legalize it. I'm team legalize it too. So, bro, 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 bro. <laughs> I'm also like, uh, during the pandemic, one thing also that I um, learned about was, um, I mean, one, I'll answer the question you, you asked. Um, I pray every day, all day, like God saved my life. Like he's the one that told me to run, you know, like I, I owe my whole life to him and I, my life is his to use. Like I am to be of service to him. Um, otherwise I would have killed myself so many different times, you know, like if my life wasn't for a bigger purpose and that's the only thing I, I hold on to, you know? I went to my first Comic-Con with my friend who actually was Carrie Fisher's assistant at uh, Comic-Cons. I don't know if you know him, Anthony Law. um, But he was volunteering. Yes. Yo, he was volunteering at a Comic-Con in Indianapolis and met Carrie Fisher. And she was like, I really like you. I'm, you know, and started hiring him to be her assistant at all all the Comic-Cons while he was still in law school at Valparaiso. So, um... And she had, you know, in, invited him to be um, her, her as, as executive assistant prior to, you know, her uh, passing, but he still had to finish law school. And so he turned down the gig and finished law school because he wanted to be an agent. Um, and, uh, but I went to, so when I moved to LA, he was uh, repping clients at Comic-Cons, like superheroes, all those things. So I went to my first Comic-Con with him. And he had taken Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so that's really another defining moment in my life where it clicked in, where I was at Comic-Con watching her talk on stage about her superhero franchise. And the crazy thing is, is I don't, didn't feel like she wanted to be there. Like she didn't realize how monumental it was to speak as a hero on screen to speak how to be a hero into people's lives in real life. And I was like, I'm, that is what I'm meant to do. And I can do it so much better than her. And I don't think she actually truthfully really likes being at Comic-Cons. I don't think she does Comic-Cons anymore. But um, I was like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I've held on to that, you know, every day. And I just hold on to my purpose, you know, and like what I'm supposed to do and that my life isn't for me. If my life was for me, like I would have ended it long time ago, long, 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 long time ago. Like, uh, and so my life isn't for me. Like I gave my life to God and I got rebaptized as an adult too, you know, like, cause I got baptized as a, as a kid and went through all the stages, but like as an adult, you know, like I think I was, I was Buddhist for a while. Like my step family is Jewish. I'm, you know, also have very intuitive. And so it was like, I made the choice 
uh, to get baptized as an adult because I wanted to recommit my life as a conscious adult to God. And so, um, you know, my life is not mine anymore. It's God's. And, you know, to use with it and do with it what he sees fit. And so um, I just hold on to that, you know, like, that's all I do. And during the pandemic, one thing that really also changed my life is I found out about microdosing. Psilocybin, so, baby, yes. Yo, yo, yo. Mushrooms are the only organic substance that has neurogenesis properties, meaning they create new pathways within your brain. So you can actually untrain yourself out of unhealthy habits. So I listened to a ton of podcasts on Paul Stamets. Like he stopped um, his stutter, like uh, vets who come back with PTSD um, and, you know, are triggered by fireworks. When they do psychedelic therapy with mushrooms, they've been known to reformat their brain to no longer have those triggers to fireworks, to gunshots, and they can create new healthy habits within their brain. And so, I mean, I've been microdosing now like 10, 11 months. And honestly, since I've been 13, I've had horrible depression, anxiety. And in the last 10, 11 months, I've been the happiest consistently that I've ever been in my entire life. And it's because one, mushrooms make you happier in general, but they, um, yeah, I've just uprooted these different unhealthy habits in my life. And the properties that they have of like, they help with migraines, menstrual cramps, they can help people uh, get rid of addictions, like all these different things where, you know, the pharmaceutical industry doesn't advertise it at all. And, um, you know, I didn't want to be hypnotized to get rid of my depression. Like as an actor, like I love my emotions. I love my depths. I love my darkness. And I can't get rid of that because I have to have it in my toolbox. But me on a daily basis, how do I, you know, not have these lows that are in a hole for like weeks on end and not be on medication? You know, I've never been medicated for anxiety or depression and I didn't want to be because I didn't know if I would, you know, be addicted or be able, how would it affect my acting if I needed to have those lows? And so like mushrooms and praying have changed and my mushrooms praying and martial arts okay. have changed my life. That's <laughs> Those amazing. are the three things I live by for sure. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it's uh, interesting that you talk about Paul Stamets. Cause uh, when I actually got my spinal cord injury, I looked into like neurogenesis. I was looking into everything, man. You, you fucking Bro, get in an accident. Facts. You can't walk. You're like, yo, I'm looking up any and everything. And, uh, he has the Stamets stack, which is like psilocybin, uh, lion's mane mushroom, and niacin, which is supposed to like really help with neurogenesis. And uh, man, that is just so exciting to me. Um, and it actually mimics serotonin in your brain too. Psilocybin does. It's so dope. <laughs> oh, you can cre- naturally create serotonin for the first time in my, like my own life naturally. And I'm like, whoa, what is this new new happy drug that's naturally coming, being produced from my own body. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, talk to me about uh, one of the three that we haven't really clicked on is martial arts. Um, I mean, heck, you do stunts, you do <laughs> weapons, you ride horses, you're, you're doing whips, you know, all kinds of things. And I feel like you've just uh, really embraced it and have gone with it. And it seems like you're flourishing. 
talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, it started off in steps. Like I really started my martial arts journey two and a half, maybe three, three years ago. Man, it also the pandemic, you forget like a whole year happened, right? right. <laughs> um, so yeah, like three, three and a half years ago. Um, and so I started practicing Kempo, boxing, jujitsu. And Kempo is a mix between karate and boxing. So like you get the the hammer chop or the hammers, you get the chop, like you get all the things from karate, but also boxing. And I just thought it was a little bit more fun. So um, I'm a blue belt in Kempo in training. And um, yeah, it was really cool. I started off just practicing like three times a week in the dojo. And then as I was like doing martial arts, I was like, oh, I want to, I can do this on screen too. And then I realized, oh no, fight choreography is different than martial arts. So yes, it's so helpful to know martial arts. So you know how to throw a punch, you know how to throw a kick, you know how to do all those. But in fight choreography, like I'm not really like punching someone, you know, like if the camera is, if the camera's right here, I, you know, you, you punch almost, you got to cross camera in a way that it reads as a hit, but it's not a hit because you got to do it like 13 times, you know, 25 times. So, um, learning fight choreography and like putting it together as a, you know, dance routine and selling it and reactions, making sure to, you know, how to take a reaction to make it look like you're getting hit, to make it look like you're doing all these things was so fun so fun. Like that was probably like the funnest part of it. And, um, then, you know, once you have martial arts and fight choreography, then you also throw in the weapons section. And, um, that's really cool. Like learning katana swords. And, uh, I've recently picked up for a Western project, a bullwhip, like Indiana Jones. So yeah. I can do like body wraps where I wrap your ankle, pull you towards me or do all these different things. And, um, yeah, you know, I never, I like me, like 40, 50 pounds heavier, always being a juicy kind of girl who was not athletic, who was just like, I would have never looked at myself now and been like, yo, that's a bad bitch, <laughs> you know, but it, it takes so much, um, it's so much work, but it's like, I feel so alive, you know, and I feel like, yeah it makes me feel like if I really came into, you know, a circumstance in life, like I have such a toolbox to, to pull from, you know? And the one thing also that I've been really like vibing on lately is, uh, so I'm a part of this Western project, uh, that I can't say, uh, uh, too much on, but I'm, my character is kind of, uh, the lead, evil bandit bitch and so i i get a bullwhip but it's also we're on horses all the time so for the past six months i've been going to the ranch with some of the cast in apple valley and learning to do horse stunts so i'm learning how to rear horses where they're up on their two hind legs and now you know we're herding cattle and roping cattle so like my horse that i love riding his name is chief he's beautiful um he's a barrel racer so he does all these sharp cuts and I get to like herd these cows. And if the cows aren't moving, he'll start biting their butts and kick them. And it's like the craziest, 
it's so cool, man. It's so cool. I'm so blessed. I'm so beyond blessed to do what I do in that, you know, God led me to do these things. You know, I, I pray every day. Thank you, God, for making me greater than I think I can be. Because I, I, I can dream the world. Like I, I, there are no limits in my head. You know, there are no limits. And my problem is sometimes I make myself want to be like everyone else. And one of my favorite quotes from Walt Disney is he says, he says, thank you, God, for continuing to make me different. And once I read that, I stopped praying and trying to be like everyone else, you know, like I don't want to fit in. Now I like I if Walt Disney was so glad that he was different. I want to be Walt Disney. Like I don't want to be like everyone else, you know? Like I just I'm so glad I'm learning this, you know, at in in my 20s, late 20s that I can continue just to be like what makes me alive? You know, what makes me happy? What are the things in my life that serve me? And, um, you know, thank you, God, for continuing to make me greater than I think I can be. Amen. That is quite the prayer, quite the affirmation. Right? You know? Yo, what? (laughs) I I, got to ask, too, like, I mean, you do so many things, and I imagine being passionate about them uh, allows you kind of uh, the mental space to keep going. But how do you manage? With all this stuff going on, this crazy packed schedule, um, having to pivot so many different ways, how do you manage? How do you keep it all together? I have to schedule out everything in my calendar. Otherwise, like, I forget, you know? Like, I'm also, like, crazy ADD, and I'm very impulsive. So, like, to... Within structure, within structure there comes freedom, you know? And, um, like, Matthew McConaughey says he writes down every single thing he needs to do in a day. So the more things he crosses off, the more accomplished he feels. Like, even if it's literally like, I need to journal, I need to do my laundry, I need to go to the bathroom. Like, he's like, I think Joe Rogan was like, you really write? You have to go to the bathroom? He's like, yeah, it's another thing to cross off my list. It makes me feel accomplished. Of course I'm going to write that. Like, (laughs) you know, like I... I have to write everything down and I'm someone who like, I write hundreds of post-it notes a day and it makes me feel so good when I can condense a post-it note and throw, throw some away, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I love scheduling my shit, man. Like I, I have to, otherwise it's too much, but I really, you know, what really make keeps me on track is I have to be active. Um, every other day, you know, I have to do something, whether it's work out or go do some stunt martial arts, you know, firearm horse training. I got to do that every other day to keep up the natural serotonin and energy levels. And, you know, you release stress, right? Like what we want to do when we're stressed and depressed is not do anything. We want to stay in bed. We want to cry. We want to crawl up on the TV. We want to smoke weed, all those things that just make us like chill out. But really, we need to get moving. You know, I, one thing I'm really trying to um, learn is a productive way to relax. So instead of watching TV when I want to relax, I should read. I should journal. I should do something productive because I want to start reading more with how much like Elon Musk and everyone talk about how much they read. I want to start reading more. So instead of 
zoning out when I need to relax and rest, still finding ways to be productive and get, get my mind growing and thinking. And, um, so that's one new thing I'm working on. Definitely. It's definitely tricky. Cause I love TV. I'm such a TV girl. Like TV yeah. was my babysitter growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah, straight up. But I mean, heck, you're involved with it. So uh, it's like yeah. something that you you know want to check out. It's a form of entertainment that matches, uh, you know, yeah. what you enjoy. So I think that's yeah. cool. I have the same struggles with uh, like freedom. Like I feel like freedom to me is like lack of structure. But I find that when you actually structure your day the way that you want it and are able to do the things that you want to do, then you actually feel free. It actually feels good. You know, you're able to accomplish all you want to accomplish. And uh, you can go to bed at the end of the day feeling like you did something, you know. So yeah, and you you scheduled out your day so you get to fit in what you want to do, right? Yeah. Like that is freedom. But if you have too many choices and you don't have a schedule, you don't know what to pick. I'm really great at organizing, but I'm horrible at prioritizing. And so I if I don't have a list or a structure and too many choices, sometimes I don't pick and it overloads me. So like you have to be smart about it for sure. Yeah, that's what's up. Well, you know, speaking of schedules, I really appreciate the fact that you scheduled this with me. Um, we're getting pretty close to the hour. And a uh, thing that I like to finish with is if you could deliver a message at the ears and eyes of everyone in the world, all those little warrior girls, what message would you deliver? My message would be to little girls, and I would urge them to focus on a career and how you want to change the world. Because when you focus on a relationship, most of the time you'll find trouble. But when you focus on a career, a relationship will find you. And, um, you know, most of the time you can't make money off your relationship, but you can make money off your career. And that will sustain you. Uh, independence is uh, so important. And if I had known as a little girl who was chasing around boys when I was in kindergarten, like chasing third graders, fourth graders, stealing their backpacks and telling them I wouldn't give them their backpack unless they kissed me. If I had not been that girl for so long in my life and focused on how I could change the world or what I wanted to do with my life and how I could impact people, I feel like I would have gotten, stayed away from a lot less trouble. And so, yeah, I, I urge all the parents to teach their girls how to be savages, how to defend themselves, how to say no, that it's okay to be alone. That doesn't mean you're lonely and that not all company is good company. That's beautiful. Margo, speaking of, Savage, you know, the Savage Sisters, you got the clothing line. Uh, where can we find that? Where can we find you? What are the socials, the YouTubes and, you know, things that you want to mention? Yes. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram at it's Margo Graf, uh, I-T-S, and then M-A-R-G-O Graf, G-R-A-F-F. So it's Margo Graf. You can also uh, follow me on TikTok. Uh, at Margot Graf um, and Savage Sisters. Go to www.shopsavagesisters.com 
Uh, we sell anything you can kick ass in plus sweats. And uh, we're in development of some female, uh, female martial arts and action gear. Uh, there's too much gear that's made for men that's used on women's bodies. So look out for some awesome fucking original product coming to you in 2021 and 2022. Damn, that's fucking awesome. Fucking savage. I love it. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. This has been awesome connecting with you. And I would love to do it again. I'd love to hear, you know, more about the things that you do and, and dive deeper into it, you know? Anytime I am yours, I will schedule you in, man. I am I'm so thankful that you asked me to be a part of this. You know, it's been like maybe like six years since we really connected and you are such an incredible, incredible soul, incredible person with so much light and love to give. And I'm so glad that you found a, a place to educate people, to connect with people and to promote intimacy in your relationships and communication and growth. And I am, I'm so blessed to call you a friend and I'm Sad it took us this long, but I cannot wait to continue being caught up in each other's lives and to see you succeed and to see you grow. I'm glad to know the feeling is mutual, homie. I love that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.